Hello and welcome to Creativize, Strategize and Synergize, a podcast about the business side of being a creative. My name is Chris Scott. My name is Atish, and in this week's episode, we talk to Colton Marshall about how you got to risk it to get the biscuit. How was San Diego? Uh, San Diego was so great. It, it's, it was actually super depressing um, coming back here. <laughs> why, why is that? Well, because we were just watching our uh, the like thermometer in the car just like steadily climb. Uh, you know what I mean? Like it was um, like when we left, it was probably close to like 1130 and mm-hmm. it was uh, it was only like 76 degrees outside. And then as we were getting closer and closer to here, you know, it's like 90, 100, 110, 115. It's like, what the fuck? Uh-huh. Like it's a uh, it's a problem. But uh, but no, it was really great. I saw my first rugby tournament, which I've never even seen a rugby match. I guess who'd you go with, or who was who all went? Uh, Colton, just you and Colton. Yeah, bro trip. Yeah, just a, just a bro trip, a, a a boys' night, so to speak. Boys' night. Boys' night. Yeah, it was it was uh really good. Um, San Diego is great, but man, shit is expensive. I'm not a big fan of San Diego. Really. Yeah. Why's that? I don't know. I I don't think I've had a good trip in San Diego as an adult. Hmm. It just seems I don't know. I'm not a beach person. And it just seems like fancy California, like pretentious California. Um not the right parts of San Diego. I know what you mean. Like if you're talking about the like San Diego, like actual downtown San Diego, yes. And if you're talking I've only been there for work, so I think that's why I don't like oh, it. Oh, it could be that too. Yeah. Or, and it was always downtown. Or like Gas Lamp. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Gas Lamp is super pretentious. Um I think uh um Carlsbad and like Encinitas <laughs> and like parts like that are pretty pretentious, but if in like Del Mar, La Jolla, but if you just go to OB, PB, or yeah, pretty much there. <laughs> it's it's not bad. Um, but what what have you been up to? Uh, just working on this uh, short film, trying to get it made. Mm-hmm. Uh, finished up. I thought I finished up that werewolf movie, but apparently it's not done. Oh, really? They, there was supposed to be only two days this last week, and it turned into three days, and that was draining. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Hmm. That's what I've been doing. Well, that uh, sounds like a whole lot of work and not a whole lot of fun. It wasn't that bad, but you could tell on this werewolf movie, everyone's just done with it. Really? Yeah, people are like people used to stay and help like clean up and stuff. People are now just like gone. Oh, they're just a little bit drained on it. They're like as soon as they're said, they're told, "Oh, we don't, you're, we're done for the night." Everybody just leaves. Yeah, and it's like it sucks. Damn. Yeah, that's that's got to be a drag. Like still working on something when everybody doesn't really want to. Right, and everybody is kind of just like, it's like we've already committed. Like it's so close to being done, but it's too late to back out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But. It's fine. There's some good fun moments, but still, it's a drag. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, damn, dude. Um, I also happened to have a conversation with Colton about risking it to get the biscuit. I don't think that's... You guys ever said that in your conversation? We didn't. That's just the title. <laughs> Is it, though? <laughs> I guess not yet. Um, 
But yeah. Risk it to get the biscuit. Gotta risk it to get the biscuit. Waffle knit shirt, waffle fries, or waffles rank one to three? Um, I would say waffle knit shirt, waffle fries, waffles. That's in descending order. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. And both waffles and waffle fries are very fleeting. Yeah. Yeah. Shirts can last forever. I know. A good waffle knit shirt is like worth its weight in gold. <laughs> <laughs> Until you get a new one from Old Navy. Yeah, exactly. Um, so we just came back from a rugby tournament. Hmm. That was a lot of fun, man. Yeah, yeah, that was good. Oh. Um, yeah, it's that's my second tournament so far this summer. And, you know, it's been a few years since I played rugby significantly. So it's fun to get back into it. Yeah, yeah, that was that was really cool. That was, yeah. that was the first one I've ever been to. Yeah, it's a fun sport. Um, so I guess the best way to kind of go about this, I mean, I haven't even introduced you. Uh, <laughs> this week we're talking with Colton Marshall. Um, why don't you go ahead and just tell us a little bit about your background, you know, kind of school, first career, that sort of thing. Sure. Yeah, so um, so I went to school for computer science. I graduated from Northern Arizona University, and uh, my first job out of college was basically I was in uh, an engineer for General Motors, doing uh, software development uh, there, and basically, kind of when I was finding myself at GM, sort of with extra time and not really feeling like I was being, I was making full use of all of the time that I had. I decided to start uh, working on on the side, working nights, working weekends, developing um, an algorithmic trading strategy. Uh, for trading on the foreign exchange market and basically left GM in late 2016 to kind of try and pursue that full time. And that's going, you know, we have a company now, so that's really cool. And it's building. It's, it's not something, it ended up being something that wasn't able to do full time like I wanted to. So I ended up uh, about a year ago getting a job with a company called Kubra and um, I'm now a product manager there at Kubra. Uh, I helped engineer this artificial intelligence bot uh, and turn it into a product, and then now I'm the product manager of that bot. So, you know, I think considering my career is only a few years, and, you know, I'm only a few years really into the meat of my career, and I feel like I've experienced a lot and learned a lot and, and experienced a lot of new stuff that's kept me on my toes, especially learning AI and learning how uh, to build a product around AI. It's mm -hmm. really, really interesting. So, like, kind of constantly changing, like, yeah. what your framework and what your, and especially in something, I mean, I don't really know that much about computer science, obviously, mm -hmm. but uh, I feel like that's something that every year or every two years, if you step too far away from it, then you're going to completely miss the boat on exactly. the next. And, and honestly, that's kind of why I felt like if I didn't leave GM when I did, it was going to be a big problem for me because I felt like at GM, my uh, skills were sort of atrophying in a way. Uh -huh. um, I kind of felt, I felt like I was not really learning anything new. Uh, a lot of the work that I was doing there was, aside from the, you know, the learning the actual office culture and learning how to interact in that specific company, right. the actual technical work that I was doing, I probably could have done that 
after my first semester in college. You know, it wasn't really. Yeah. So it wasn't like it wasn't challenging in a technical sense. And so I thought, well, you know, and that's why I kind of started working on the algorithmic trading stuff is because that was something I could learn. And I just kind of taught myself the because the programming language that uh, these the particular robots that I wrote for the Forex market, they have sort of a proprietary dialect of um, a common programming language. So <laughs> proprietary learn, dialect. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so it's, you know, it, the, the interesting thing about programming languages is they are really like real languages in the sense that you use the same parts of your uh, brain. You activate the same parts of your brain to code as you do to write English. Right? Sure, you know, you sure. really are learning a language. And the most languages are basically child languages of some of the older languages like a lot but pretty much every major language has something in common with like C which was written back in like the late 60s early 70s kind of time mm-hmm. um, and they're all they all just sort of diverge and evolve and have their own dialects and have their own uh, you know specific features and traits that mean that sometimes you can't just switch from one to the other so for me like the the language that I was program that I taught myself to program in for this specifically was a dialect of C++ which which is a version of C right yeah which was an upgrade f- from C that made C object oriented but the dialect is a very it's a, it, I don't want to get too deep into that this yeah 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 too, this is kind of more of a technical discussion but yeah let, suffice to say that this dialect is very uh, it's not. I, I. It's not like any other C plus plus I had ever written before. So mm-hmm. it felt kind of like learning sort of a new language. I mean, it was. It's very similar to other ones I knew, which made picking it up easier. Like I was able to become fluent in, it in about a month, but it was still definitely you know a challenging learning process because there were a lot of uh, specific functions and stuff that only exist in this in this particular realm of sure, sure. So course. essentially, you uh, would you describe yourself as an autodidact? Uh, I think, uh, I think f- about certain things, definitely. Cause I definitely have like a passion for learning new things. I really enjoy that. Mm-hmm. And I, when I want to learn something new or if I want to try something, new, I just go do it. You know, it's like, if I want to do something, I want to learn by doing. Yeah, so yeah. I think in that way, I'm an autodidact. I wouldn't say I, you know, I could go on like a speaking tour and, you know, <laughs> and teach other people this kind of stuff. But right. I think the proficiency with that I've reached with a lot of things has been pretty much self-taught. Like I think the stuff that I learned in college, the like sort of the baseline fundamental stuff that I learned the first couple of years gave me a good foundation that in my career, I've actually, I feel like I've learned a lot more than college taught me. And I think a lot of that was just sort of going out and looking for it. Like sometimes just like for me, like when I learn a new programming language or something, I just go out and like read the documentation, you know, try building something, try, you know, figuring out how to use different stuff. Um, like, so when I, when I got this job at Kubra, they were using a framework that I never used. Uh-huh. And it's a very complicated, like enterprise grade framework that is, if you don't know, do we want to like cut this out? <laughs> No, nah, I mean, whatever. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> just roll with it. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, whatever. We, we gotta, we gotta <laughs> deal with it. How we deal with it? Yeah. So, you know, learning that basically, when I came onto the team at Kubra, 
the all the other engineers had a lot more experience mm-hmm. with than me in the especially in this framework and so I had to learn how to do it and it's not like there were people willing to sit down with me for you know 20 hours a week and like you know, figure it, help me figure out right. the framework. Yeah, you know? the, the, nobody's getting paid to teach you how to do something. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, as soon as I got there, you know, the work, like tickets start coming in, you know, yeah. stuff that has to be fixed, stuff that has to be built, uh, you know, things that have to be engineered. And so like, it was going like, live. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like, just got to figure it out and yeah. do it. And, you know, it worked out pretty well for me. It was, it was tough the first couple of months just because it was something that was totally new to me, that kind of like enterprise grade framework. I never developed in that before. Yeah. Um, and so that type of engineering was, it, it, it definitely required me to step up my standards for uh, software construction and engineering. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. Well, so that's, it's actually kind of in that vein, which is why um, I kind of thought that you would have something valuable to bring to the podcast or something mm-hmm. to, to um, kind of distill to people because uh, we've known each other for a really long time, yeah, right? Long time. Yeah. Long time. And, uh, something like I see in you and the way in which you operate in sort of a general sense, but mm. specifically when you're, we're, because this podcast, we kind of, uh, cater it a little bit or curate it specifically for uh, creative types or entrepreneurial types yeah, or yeah. Yeah, you know mostly the people who are like in the center of that Venn diagram in between mm-hmm. and um, what I find is in a lot of ways I have these really good qualities like I'm really dedicated I work really hard you know yeah, or yeah. you know if I actually give a shit sometimes <laughs> sometimes I don't yeah but you're 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 a, you're a conscientious person sure yeah, yeah. Um, but something in which you know I think has been very documented on the, this podcast mm-hmm. um, I, we've done 40 some episodes now and something like that mm-hmm. and something that we've seen a repetitive theme of is um kind of reticency to go do something or reticency to really kind of like plug yourself in and just like, all right, well, I'm going to just attack this head on or I'm going to do whatever. Mm -hmm. And I'm a little bit too risk averse in that sort of sense. But something that I see in you that's kind of evolved over time because it's it's definitely not... uh, like I don't want to make it seem like you're impulsive because mm-hmm. that that would be the incorrect word choice. Sure, but more specifically, I, I think it's kind of like uh, you make very calculated risks, like going from one career to another, mm-hmm. or specifically being able to bet on yourself. Um, like the the transition from GM, mm-hmm. which is you know a, what is that? It's, it's a it's a publicly traded company. it's, yeah, it's probably a, in the Forbes Fortune Ten. So, oh I mean, wow! It's, yeah, it's, you, they have over two hundred thousand employees. Yeah, a yeah. humongous company. Yeah, like you yeah. know, you know, you're getting paid. You don't yeah. have to worry about like the job security. There was absolutely probably like some of the best that I'll ever have in my career. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like you, you went from something where you know, unless you like burn down the mainframe, you're probably right. not yeah, getting yeah, shit yeah, canned, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. And then you, um, fucking planes. Yeah. Uh, you essentially went from something where it was, you know, it was a paycheck and it, you were doing that yeah. and it, it worked out for the most part. Yeah. Um, but obviously there was something lacking because you were getting paid pretty well and, yeah, you know, yeah. whatever. But you made uh, kind of that transition into uh, Forex, foreign exchange trading, where you were you were still kind of working on the software end, but it was kind of a totally different than what you're used to doing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And you totally shifted gears for something that's a 
startup, mm-hmm. you know, which a lot of people are, you know, like when I talk to my dad about all these different startup companies and all this kind of stuff, he's like, oh, well, you know, because he's a very old school kind of guy. He doesn't, yeah. he doesn't, you know, um, he's like, oh, well, that's risky and you don't want, you know, blah, 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 all this kind of stuff. So, you know, uh, how much did you, did you kind of ruminate on that, that transition? And, and yeah. did you think of it as like a very risky venture or did you kind of just like, nah, fuck it? Like, yeah. You know? Uh, so, well, to, yeah, to answer your first question, I definitely ruminated on that a long time. It was, it, there was a lot of stress leading up to it. Cause I kind of sort of had an idea that I was going to need to leave GM to devote you know, myself, like the majority of my time to, um, the software, the Forex software company. Right. Because I was just kind of getting pretty burnt out doing GM and that. Um, but you know, I was raised and I think like a lot of people my age, our age who, uh, you know, I think our parents grew up in a generation where if you got a job, it was like, hold on to that job, right? Like a right. lot of people worked at the same company and then retired with that company, you know, with pensions and, and yeah. you know, it was, it was sort of like, uh, it was part of your life. Like you work at the coal mine for 40 right. years. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And you get paid in coal mine dollars that are only good at the company store and you, you, yeah, you yeah, know what totally. I mean? Yeah. So, I mean, I think there's, there's a, there's a lot of sentiment and I think it still exists, which is like, if you have a good job, keep it. And don't rock the boat because who knows what's on the horizon. Yeah. There's this sort of, and it's, I think it's a realistic pessimism. Like, I don't think it's unfounded because, you know, we historically, like we do go through cycles of, and periods of time where getting a job is hard. Right. And like you would do anything for any job. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I definitely grew up in my, my family. I was told like, just, you know, if you get a job, like when I was, speaking to my family about leaving to do this, you know, especially like, uh, some people in my family were very surprised. They're like, well, you work for general motors, you know, like general motors is, yeah, it's too big to fail. Right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, exactly. It's, like, yeah. It's, 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 it's been deemed by the government as of a company that is not allowed to go out of business. Right. right. Well, well, and I'm pretty sure like you, it's that security in and of itself and, and, you know, health insurance and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. It's like, Oh, that's a, that's a sure thing. That's kind of a slam dunk. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, the benefits were great. That's for sure. And I felt like it was a big risk because the, you know, going into the Forex business, uh, our business model at the time. So, so just a background on our business. Like I started the business. Um, my partners are my dad and, uh, we have two other business partners sure. who all kind of bring, we all bring certain things to the table. And I think what's great, I think when you start any business, uh, and you, you know, you have founders that you start it with, I don't think you want to start a business with anyone who doesn't bring something unique to the table. And I think that was kind of the thing that really helped me help push me into doing it full time was like, it didn't work without, if any one of us was gone, mm-hmm. you know, if any one of us wasn't part of the business, it wouldn't work. It's like, if I wasn't there, they would have to pay some guy they didn't know, right. To write the software. There are a lot of like Forex programmers in like Singapore and stuff. So it's like you got to work with some person you don't know. And you don't even see. Probably a lot of money. Yeah. Um, 
you know, more than I was paying myself. We were, so it's like, yeah. Um, and, you know, and, and my dad brings a level of expertise with the Forex market because he had traded it, uh, you know, years ago. And he kind of sure. knew the ins and outs. And our other business partners brought connections and business expertise and accounting expertise and these sorts of things that are really important. So that helped me feel like it was less of a risk than maybe if I were just kind of striking out on my own to start like my own business, just me without any business partners or something like that. I think that risk would have been bigger, but at the same time, I think I I feel like there's a, there's this idea that there isn't any risk associated with like security and comfort. And I know that sounds kind of like counterintuitive because security and risk are, really fundamentally opposites, right? Right. One would think that if you have more security, you have less risk. And if you have more risk, you have less security. Exactly. Yeah. But I don't necessarily think that's the case. I don't think you get to pick a life without risk. I think you just, you get to choose where you want to place that risk. Yeah, exactly. Almost like an opportunity cost sort of thing. Like as in, I could stay doing what I'm doing right now, but then I risk being unhappy. I risk being unfulfilled. Mm -hmm. So when you balance that out against like, okay, I might miss out on, you know, this heavy of a paycheck. Right, right. Maybe the tables shift. And and, and is that kind of what happened with you? It it was, yeah. And I think, I also feel like for me... I, like you said, I do, I do definitely take controlled risks and I think I probably take bigger risks than a lot of people would in, in, especially in like certain circumstances, like, you know, I'll go gamble money in Vegas or something, you know, (laughs) or I'll go like, like I'll do things that I think some people would say is like, wow, he's really risk tolerant, but I don't necessarily know if I am risk tolerant. I think it's just for me, I think like our fears are, fear is a strong emotion and our fears sort of tell us things we should stay away from. But I also think that if you have two fears, like if you have a a fear of your knowledge becoming obsolete or being unhappy or being stuck in a job where you don't know where it's going and just like wasting away, it's like if you have that fear and you have that fear counterbalanced with the fear of, uh, you know, will I get a paycheck next month? Mm -hmm. You know, will I uh, be able to survive and like save money and, you know, live a life that doesn't involve becoming impoverished, right? It's like those are two, those are basically the two fears that were sitting on the opposite sides of whatever decision I made about whether to leave GM or to stay there. And for me, I feel like I had to figure out which one I was more afraid of. Right. Because I really think the thing that you're in those situations, like what you're more afraid of, that kind of tells you which direction to go. Yeah. Like the thing you're most afraid of, if you're re- like, I think if you're really afraid of something, you should probably expose yourself to that fear. So that you inoculate yourself. Exactly. A bit. Yeah. Because I think otherwise, if you, if you don't do that, then you end up forever sort of it becomes bigger like the fear gets bigger yeah if you you run away from it then it becomes something that not only were you afraid to uh encounter but it's like something that was actively able to make you like turn away from it Mm -hmm. and it becomes more powerful over time because the the stakes get higher over time totally it's like the longer you wait to like the longer if i had waited another year another two years another three years at gm you know, who knows how obsolete my knowledge would have been, you know, right. coming out of there. Um, I, I really think, I, I do think that 
you know, I was not building the kind of knowledge that would further my career at anywhere else other than GM. So essentially, you would basically be securing yourself at GM. Right. But you wouldn't necessarily be doing like you wouldn't be furthering your pursuit uh, personally. Exactly. And I and I do think that if if you're afraid of doing something and but you know that doing it would develop your character or like improve things in your life that are kind of more uh, intangible or like nebulous ideas about yourself. Right. Right. If you, if you have this idea that like, if I do this, it's scary, but you know, there's potential in that fear, you Mm -hmm. know, for me to build something out of that. It's like, I think you should do that. Mm -hmm. Like no matter what it is. And I mean, as long as it's not like, you know, something super duper dangerous, (laughs) the odds of dying, but some people are like that, right? It's like some people go and do the, some people go climb K2. Well, I mean, know, yeah, somebody dying is like super high. So yeah, somebody had to be evil Knievel, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. So, but I think for most people, and I, I, you know, I think I'm, I don't, you know, I, I think I'm most people in general. I think I'm a pretty, you know, normal guy. And I think that, you know, a lot of people are just too afraid to try something, even though I think when you really sit down and think about why you're afraid of it and what exactly you're afraid of when you really think about that you start to realize i think there's a little part of you that says the reason i'm afraid of this is because i'm afraid of like what i might get out of it or i'm afraid of how i might change yeah because there is like that stability that comes with knowing who you are and doing the same thing all the time right being comfortable right exactly there's a comfort and it's and breaking out of that you don't really know who you are after that. You yeah. have to you have to kind of relearn the because th- you learn something about yourself every time you do something new. Mm-hmm. Every time you expose yourself to something you're afraid of, you learn things about yourself. And I think people are afraid to do that sometimes, and people are Definitely. afraid to bet yeah. on themselves for sure. Right. So yeah. so that's actually that's kind of the thing. It's for some reason, and and of course you'll understand this because you know you've kind of been through every step th- through my life as well. Mm-hmm. I find that what I guess I'm kind of thinking or the way I'm always operating is under the assumption that, you know, that imposter syndrome adage where it's it's just kind of like, I'm always thinking like, well, there's a bunch of people who do this better than me, or Mm -hmm. I'm not qualified to do this, or I'm, you know, whatever. I constantly think that I'm not going to measure up. And I also know you and I know you also have those thoughts, but you end up managing those in a very interesting way. Like you end up kind of, um, like you said, you're kind of hedging your bets and like, yeah, that could be true, mm-hmm. but I'm also, it'd be way worse not to find out. Right, right. Well, I think also, like, imposter syndrome does two things. Like, one, it definitely can hinder your confidence in your ability to perform things that you think you're not able to perform or you think you're not qualified or... Sure, yeah. You know, like, you think you're an imposter. But I also think that it... People who have those thoughts, and I think a lot of people do, um, they're very aware of their shortcomings. So it's like it shines a light on your shortcomings, mm-hmm. and they might they may only be shortcomings to you. And I think that's kind of what I found. The more I became aware of like how how much I felt like an imposter when I was out there doing stuff, you know, it, I would my boss would come back to me and say, you know, you're doing a great job and here's what you did. That's great. Or, you know, right, someone yeah. would say, Oh wow. Like this is really cool. That's so cool that you did that. And in my mind, it's like, well, lots of people can do that. How's yeah. That cool. Um, but you start to learn like, it's not that 
other people are holding you to a standard that you can't meet. It's that you're holding yourself to a standard that you can't meet. Right. But there is like motivation in that. It's like, well, you're never going to be able to meet your own standard probably because you're always going to know, you're always aware of the people that are better at something than you are. Right. Yeah. There's always going to be a better guitar player. There's always going to be a better engineer. There's always going to be a, you know, a better gymnast, right? Like whatever your thing is, there's always someone better. Um, and I think, having that knowledge it's like okay well i know what i'm i know what i could improve on mm-hmm. right it's like i everyone knows that everyone <laughs> who knows anything about themselves knows exactly the sort of things that are just inadequate about themselves right and so that's an opportunity right it's like we live in a time when you can get free information from a device in your pocket you can take courses for you know a few dollars that will teach you how to become more powerful and more competent at yeah, whatever yeah. you want. Mm-hmm. You know, anything from like watercolor painting to, you know, coding up artificial intelligence software, yeah. you know, yeah. it's, you can learn pretty much anything. Um, and I think that since we are so uniquely aware of our own shortcomings, I don't think we'd really have an excuse not to try and improve ourselves in those areas since we know what they are. Yeah. It's like if, if I didn't know what I wasn't good at, then I would be kind of stuck. But it's like if I know what I'm not good at, then I can try and make myself better in those areas. Yeah, that's kind of – and that's what I find sort of impressive about Chris. Um, mm-hmm. And I think I did an interview with uh, Sean okay, yeah. also, and Chris had to step out for that interview as well. So, like, you and I are doing this interview, and unfortunately, and then Chris and I will recap it later. Okay. And then for that interview as well, uh, Chris and I recapped it later, and Sean and I did it. So we always, we were joking that we kind of want, like, a Chris Scott soundboard. Like, we just have, we just have some effects of where he's just like, sock it to me, and, like, he just, like, says things. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, um, what, what kind of impresses me about Chris is that he'll sort of see things that he didn't really like or things that he figured out from the last short film or the last movie he was making or like Eddie Mummy, his first full length feature. Mm -hmm. And he's like, okay, uh, so we're going to do it the different way the next time. So it doesn't cramp him up in being like, oh shit, that Mm -hmm. wasn't everything I wanted it to be. And like, I kind of put a whole lot of money into it and a whole lot of time and all that kind of stuff. Maybe I shouldn't, you know, whatever. It it doesn't cramp him up in that sense. He's just like, okay, well I figured out what I'm not going to do the next time. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and I kind of see the same thing when you're talking about this because you're saying how seeing your shortcomings or or figuring out what your shortcomings are, being aware of them, mm-hmm. presents you with an opportunity to kind of like work on those things. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, that's, and that's a really interesting concept. I, I also kind of, um, we did an interview with um, one of Chris's friends who was an entrepreneur and he was kind of mm-hmm. coaching us through LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Um and he used a phrase that I had also heard from my cousin, Prantik. Uh, mm-hmm. He, you know, started his own marketing firm. Right, right. And so you're kind of alluding to a very similar concept, fail early, fail cheap, or mm-hmm. fail fast, fail cheap, or something like that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, h- how does that kind of mentality relate with, you know, for instance, the Forex stuff? Because yeah. it was uh, a small-scale startup, mm-hmm. then booming, yeah. then you had to scale it back for a little bit, and now you're kind of pushing forward again. So you kind of are, it's not like just a flat forward trajectory, right. you know what I mean? Or just, or just like a linear growth. It has points of stagnation and points of growth and points of stagnation and points of growth. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I think, well, I, I completely agree with that idea that, 
you do want to push it and you want to push your weak spots early on because those are the things that if they're not strong enough and you don't test them, then, you know, when something goes wrong, that's those are the parts that will fail. And you would rather fail early for sure. So, you know, specifically in, in um, with my Forex business, we had after I left GM, we probably had about five months of really solid uh, growth and like we were doing really well. And for me, like, I felt like I was improving, A, I was improving my software, like, you know, we had reached sort of our final production uh, software iteration, but we, I was kind of, I was still constantly iterating and like just cleaning things up, you know, not even actually changing the function of the software, but change, you know, refactoring things and making them just better, you know, and more efficient. Um, And during all this time, I kind of thought, I kept thinking, you know, in the back of my head, like, man, you know, we can pay ourselves this month. Can we pay ourselves next month? Right. Can we pay ourselves the next month? (laughs) Right. And, and and I was wondering if, if we were going to fail, like when is it going to happen? And so we had an issue with, without getting too deep into it, uh, we had a problem where basically our, one of the main brokerages that we were using filed for bankruptcy and our funds were stored with them. And so when, brokerage or some sort of financial institution declares bankruptcy, any funds that they were storing kind of get tied up in that legal uh, process I as see. they go to court, as they go to bankruptcy court. So, so even if it's not their assets, pretty exactly. much, it's like, well, that's still part of what they were holding. Part of their entity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we basically had... And, and, but it was really a blessing in disguise. So, because we were actually planning, we had two, we were using two brokerages and we were planning on moving all of our money to this brokerage, the one that went bankrupt. And we had only, we hadn't moved that much of it. We had still moved a significant amount, but we had not moved all of it. And so, if we had <laughs> moved all of it by the time that would have been a lot bankrupt, worse, we would have been totally dead because yeah. we would have had all of our clients' funds would have been locked up. Yeah, you know, we would have had no uh, money for the software to trade, no one to license it to, nothing. So, so essentially, it's flatlining. Yeah. So we got lucky in that it, you know, it was something we couldn't predict, but it also helped us improve our business because we thought, how do we prevent this from happening again? You know, what if we went out and we basically went through the steps to secure kind of our own label as broker so that that way our company, one of our companies can act as a broker. And then we would know if we were going to go bankrupt, right? Like if we're the broker, then we don't have to deal with any other brokerage to facilitate our trades or facilitate sure. our price feeds or anything like that. So, it so made essentially our- you also found that was another case of where you did uh, through testing, mm-hmm. you found a weakness and then you've grown from that right, as well. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, of course it would have been great to just keep using that other brokerage, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It would have been great. But, uh, <laughs> you know, so, but now it's like, we're, our business is way better because we've structured, like we've, we were able to re, evaluate our structure and strengthen it. And now it's like, well, we don't really rely on a third party, you know, broker that could go bankrupt now. Sure. You know, now yeah. We're working with people who are like major liquidity providers that deal with governments and stuff like that. Like they don't be, they aren't people that go bankrupt, just some brokerage in New York or something. Right. Right. Like, right. So, you know, like we definitely came out of it stronger and like now, you know, that was about, 
a year or so ago, year and a few months ago. And, you know, it was rough there for a while because we were like, well, you know, we can't really pay ourselves. And so we're going to have to go back to, you know, working some our, you know, some nine to five job. Right. Um, but at the same time, it's like I, you know, I used the opportunity at Kubra to learn a lot of things. And now, you know, I'm a product manager there, which is like a big step up in my career, you know, to go yeah. from engineer to product manager and do it at the same at, at a new company that I've been at for only a year now. Yeah. Know, I've been product manager for the last few months. So it's like it, in a way it, it really I feel like I'm a better engineer than I was a year ago, mm -hmm. which means that I can bring the things that I'm learning at my job back to my Forex software yeah. and improve it. And on top of that, you know, my experience in doing things like product management, which I had never done before. Right. You know, that's a whole different uh, ball game. You know, it's, it's like you have to be the engine, an engineer and manage the actual product vision and deal with how to sell it to people. You know, it's like, it's a whole right. You're extra complexity that wearing I wearing many hats. Now. Yeah. And, and I like that actually. I really like that because that's like how I learn. Yeah. You know, is by, is by really just like diving into something that interests me, but that I've never done before. Right. Yeah. So, so, um, first, I mean, so people shouldn't be afraid of that kind of thing. Like just because you know nothing about it doesn't mean you can't go and figure it out. Yeah. yeah. And I think that that's a problem with how we kind of see opportunities, whether it be jobs, whether it be, you know, whatever, they're asking for a certain amount of experience. And it's like, oh, yeah. I don't have that experience. I'm just not going to try or I'm not right, going to do it. It's right. like, well, I think that's an, like, you're basically saying that's an invitation to go get that experience. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure. And um, do you do you intend on kind of, because now you are transitioning roles, mm -hmm. you're transitioning roles within a, a, the nine to five. Yeah. And do you plan on kind of pulling that back to your forex and maybe you know figuring out where that leads again or or are you kind of settling into what you're doing what yeah so i mean it's kind of interesting because i look at it now and i think you know the you know the software that i wrote has been running nonstop on multiple client accounts that we've licensed um for almost a year now mm -hmm. um we had some accounts that were would with if they were still running they would have been running over a year and most of my work these days is kind of administrative work like making sure um, administrative and like operational stuff. upkeep yeah exactly yeah. it's like making sure the software's you know got a connection to the internet making sure that everything all of our virtual servers are running um Administering, like, you know, I, my business partners are all at least 30 years older than me. So, you know, I have to manage all of our technology and all of our organizational uh, administration from the, you know, from Google, all of our Google administration stuff, basically, is what I'm saying. Like, I yeah. have to manage all that stuff. But that's stuff that I can do in, you know, it doesn't require a lot of time. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, um, you know, I look at Kubra and, like, I, you know, I am really appreciative of what the faith that Cooper's shown in me despite I, the fact that I've only been here, you know, a year. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, they've really, they, they've really shown a lot of faith in me and, like, given me a lot of responsibility. And I think there's a lot of potential there. And it kind of, I want to go back to kind of something you said about looking at a job 
offer, you know, or looking at a job as opening. an opportunity. As, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and looking at things and saying, oh, well, I don't have three to five years experience. And I do think that like, we have a problem where we just don't believe in ourselves. You know, like we, we really have like a lack of belief in the things that we can do. And when we see something, we're like, I don't know how to do that or I don't have that. Yeah. It's like, well, I'm just exclude that you just you just kind of acquiesce and you like remove yourself automatically Mm -hmm. before you even tried um and for instance like my job at kubra uh they pretty much only hired people with master's degrees and i don't have a master's degree and i you know vividly remember in my interview uh they were like oh do you know how to use the spring framework which is like you know their framework that we use pretty much exclusively Mm -hmm. i was like no never had any experience with it yeah. And they were like, oh, well, what about this? What about this? And they named like three things that I had no experience in. And really? Just, yeah. And I was just like, no, I've never used that. Never used that. And then they asked me like some problems, you know, like, well, what if you had to do this and this and this? And like I said, oh, well, I would do this. And then, you know, I kind of laid out my how, my thinking on how I would solve whatever problem they gave me. And it just so happened that like the way that I would solve it was very similar to the sort of architecture that they have at Kubra. And then after that, I actually had a meeting with this. I had an interview with the senior vice president of the company, Mm -hmm. and he sort of took a liking to me because I was coming from that entrepreneurial space. And he thought that the fact that I left GM to pursue my own thing and like do my own company and stuff like that, like he thought that showed that I was willing to learn and that I was able to learn and. Like that's how I got that job. It's like I yeah. didn't have a master's degree. I didn't have experience in any of the technologies. But now here I am a year later, and I'm product manager at that company. I'm yeah, the first, you've, you've already the been first product manager mm-hmm. ever at Kubra. Like we're creating a whole new department. I'm the first person. So you know, it's like it's it's uh, it's been a big learning experience for me because it's taught me that you know I think I do sell myself short sometimes, and I do, and if I just go in and, and I'm honest about my capabilities, but I'm also honest about the fact that I do, you know, I do know how to learn and I do enjoy learning. And I think if you put something in front of me, like I'll figure out how to do it. Mm -hmm. You know, I can't say that I'll figure out how to do it super fast or I'll figure out the best way to do it, but I'll figure out how to get it done. And I can iterate on that and I can make it better and better and better. The more I do it, it's like the first time I do it, it might not be great because I'm just learning. Yeah. the ways that you, it's like that first success comes with a lot of failures, like many failures <laughs> inside of it. Yeah, like, yeah. It's like, oh man, like I, you know, I wrote this bit of code that, you know, it worked great, but then I tried to integrate it and it's not like, it's not building or something, you know, and you're like, okay, well, I, I know the, the idea around it's solid, but I just couldn't get this certain thing to work. There are always little failures like peppered in, even with every success. <laughs> it's like, you can't get everything right all the time. So basically, whether, whether you're, uh, whether you're, that's going to be a great background <laughs> noise. <laughs> Fucking birds. Um, no matter what, you know, there's always going to be kind of a mixed bag. Exactly. But, but it's all about how you kind of construct that and how you, it, like, right. whether you, you know, it's it's like that, uh, what's called a Pyrrhic victory. Mm-hmm. Um, you either win or you learn. Like, right. you, you don't allow yourself to kind of be downtrodden or, like, yeah. set aside off those things. And there isn't really, like, especially when it comes to building things and in, in creating things, I don't, I think that failure is really just like a matter of where you stop. It's like some people 
have such a lack of belief in themselves that like they stop at the first failure. But it's like, well, maybe that first failure was right before you were actually about to get it right. Right. I mean, there have been tons of times where I write code and it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Right? And it's like, well, I can't just throw my hands up and say, I don't know how to do this. I can't write code that does this. Right. It's like, okay, no, I can, I can figure out what I did wrong get past that first failure. Maybe I hit another failure, but it's failing for a different reason, you know? Yeah. And eventually you get to a success, but it's like some people, they've, they, they can't handle failure. It it hits them too hard, I think. And it it just like lays them out and they just can't move past any sort of failure. And I think in order to actually be successful and in order to, to, develop yourself and not even just professionally I'm not even talking like just professional success I think just like to be successful as a person and to develop yourself and develop who you are and how you and you know comport yourself in the world like you have to be able to deal with failure because there's like always something to learn and you never know if failing at something is just another step on the way to actually like mastering that thing yeah yeah just being like proficient in it Failing forward. Right, yeah. Fail yeah. forward. Yeah. That's yeah. a good that's a good thought. Yeah. So yeah, I think there's I think every person who has mastered something in their life knows that they really sucked at it for basically what probably felt like forever. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and eventually they didn't suck at it. Yeah. And they it's like you just have to fail enough until you're so good at failing that you know, your, your failures are better than other people, like look better than other people's failures in a way. You know? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, um, awesome, man. That's, that's a lot of really kind of actionable advice because I think what, what keeps a lot of people back is, um, the natural instinct to kind of be like, uh, like, like how many people, you know, especially in my collegiate career and also in yours, like how many people do we hear who are just like, Oh, well, I'm not good at math. Right. So it's, yeah. and it's like, uh, okay, but that, that wasn't, you're not good now. That's right. kind of the point. Right. You know? And, and I think we it's were, like you weren't this, good at English at one point. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> at, at one point you couldn't speak English either. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think that's kind of the thing that you know, um, we were just talking about this last night that it's like, man, we really didn't appreciate college as that. Cause we yeah. were so, I was so verklempt and like all, all, you know, nervous of like, I had to get straight A's and all that kind of stuff. Right. It's like, yeah, but that also that if you're only doing stuff that, and it wasn't stuff that I knew that I could get A's in, but mm-hmm. you know, it, it's like, I specifically didn't want to be a physicist. Cause I was like, Oh, that's too hard. Yeah. And I don't want to be a physicist anyways, but, right, but right. you know what I mean? That, that kind of limiting belief and not appreciating, mm-hmm. um, yeah, well, and, and I'll say something about that. I think that, yeah, the, there, it is easy, I think, when you're in the education system to sort of get caught up in, like, the metrics that define, like, that's what tells you whether or not you're doing a good job. But really, yeah, you know, looking back at college, it's like there's so much opportunity to learn there outside of the sort of, like, regimented learning processes that you go through in classes and, you know, sure, moving yeah. through credits with prerequisites. Like there are all these metrics that tell you, <laughs> yeah. yes, you're moving forward. But there are also so many things you can learn outside of that. And you have, I mean, I worked a lot in college, but it's, it's I still had tons of time that I could have been using as an opportunity to take advantage of the fact that I didn't have, you know, a mortgage and didn't have like all of these things. Right. Yeah. Obligations. Don't have a wife and three kids. Yeah. And I think, (laughs) and I think college is like, if we, if we talk, if we're talking about risk versus security, it's like college, you have a lot of security because you have 
It's like you can go get a meal. You have housing. Like if you're living on campus, you know, it's like you're kind of living in this protective bubble, yeah. which means that you can take a lot of risk and you really put, you can try new things. You can put yourself out there and you can learn stuff. And once you get past that, I think people, they, they want that security and security is still, you, you know, the laws of nature still apply. It's like if you aren't improving yourself, if you aren't moving forward, if you're not taking risks, uh, then you're just sort of, there's like entropy kind of takes over, you know, it's yeah. like, you know, you can't just, it's like, it's like, you can't just sit in your house or in your panic room, you know, and be protected from the world. It's like, there are things that need to be done and there are envelopes that need to be pushed. And, People need to go do that, and yeah. and there's so much that you can do in your life that you just you might not even know you can do it. But people are just so afraid, I think, to to stick an arm out there because they don't know what they're sticking. You know, it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I I I feel like that's a kind of a half formed thought, but I think you understand what I'm that saying. It kind of makes like, metaphors in there, but yeah, yeah, it was yeah. good. It was good. <laughs> I think I think like basically people sort of live in their comfort zone and they can't see outside of it. So when they try and like take a step outside of it or like put part of themselves out there, uh, you know, a part that maybe they're really secure in, you know, that maybe their intellect or their job or they, and they put that out at risk, they risk losing it. You know, they put it on the table. It's like, they don't know what's out there that could take that from them, but they also don't know what's out there that could really like enrich them. Right. So, and you're basically ensuring that nothing bad will happen to you, but also nothing good will happen to you. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, well, who wants that? Yeah. You know, it's like, that just sounds kind of worse. (laughs) Yeah. If I'm going to fail, I want to fail, you know, after trying something really that I was was hoping would really improve my life. Something big and audacious. Right. Yeah. I don't want to fail at being a failure. (laughs) You know, I want to fail at trying something interesting. Fair enough, man. Well, um, usually we have like... Uh, entertainers or actors or like people who are starting their own business or something like that so they have something to plug at the end I don't yeah mm, yeah I don't know do you, um, do you have anything to plug any last words of wisdom <laughs> any anything uh, uh, no I would honestly like I don't I'm not I don't really promote my business or anything because we you know the people we deal with have a lot of money and like don't listen to podcasts. <laughs> right, <laughs> yeah. um, but I would just probably say, listen to like a Prairie Home Companion or some shit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would. Say, I mean, I just would plug anyone who's listening. It's like I'm plugging you. You know, like that you have a lot of potential uh, in your life. There's a lot of things that you could be doing that you're too afraid to do. Go out and try something scary. You know, and you never know what'll come out of it. So that's a plug for you. Yeah. <laughs> Powerful stuff, man. Thank you so much. Yeah, you, you Google brisket to get the biscuit. It's a bunch of uh, recipes for brisket on biscuits. Brisket on biscuits? Yeah. That sounds delicious. Oh, it's because I spelled brisket wrong. I spelled brisket like brisket. <laughs> I'm tired. Yeah, you. <laughs> yeah, most definitely. Um, yeah, but, uh, but, uh, What'd you think? He was a he was kind of an interesting cat because he has no experience in a lot of stuff, but then he just goes and does things, mm-hmm. which is so not my style, but kind of something he was really speaking to was I think something that you have been speaking to also, which is that, you know, there's a whole lot more risk in not 
doing the things that you want to do, like just taking, you know, a regular job for the pay. Um, and then there's a whole lot more risk to that or like it would be way shittier to do that than to try it at something and like fail at it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I don't know that, that, uh, kind of resonated with me and particularly kind of like where I'm getting, um, where I'm getting caught up in. Yeah. Like where I am right now and just like how my time is spent, at, you know, it's like, I'm kind of starting to really feel like, yeah, this, this year has to be the big, the big year of change. And it's, mm-hmm. and it's like you talk often, like I think earlier in podcasts and stuff, you were talking about like taking the plunge and like really like doing. And so I think that that might be, this might be that year for me. You're going to, you're going to take the big leap. I guess like you're going to make the big shift. I, I think I kind of have to like, like not that, cause it's just like, otherwise these things all become like temporary fixes. These things are all like band-aids, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. Like, like, because it's like, I don't actually like, I'm not trucking a hundred percent full steam ahead anymore you know what i mean and so i yeah i don't know it was that's just kind of what i was ruminating on while we were talking Uh uh-huh i think the thing about your conversation with colton is that i don't know do you ever get you know do you know that one person that you know you always give advice to and they never listen to it yes until some like idiot says the same thing (laughs) that you've been saying the whole time yeah and they're like oh you're right i should do that and then you're like i've been saying this the whole time uh are you saying you're the person who's been saying this the whole time? No, what I'm trying to say is that, <laughs> uh, like you said on the on, in your talk, yeah, we've had a lot of the, a lot of guests on the show, and they all pretty much say the same thing. Yeah, you know, just go out and just do it. Yeah, but that's not going to resonate with you unless you hear it from someone that you think will uh, like that hold some weight to that statement. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, and it's not. Uh, me versus them. It's not a, this person's better than this person. It's who resonates more with the individual that's being told. Right. And also like who's saying it to that person. For instance, you would take like more film advice from somebody who knows shit about film. You know what I mean? As opposed to like somebody who works at an ice cream shop. Right. (laughs) For example. But the person at the ice cream shop might have to have a really good idea, but oh, but, it's, but it's it would be the that, same. Yeah. Like, like it, it would be the same content in suggestion, but because it like comes from a different source, like, right. Because, you know, we can spend all this time in the world reading every how to book, how to start a business, how to figure out what your life is supposed to be about. Mm-hmm. You know, we can read everyone else's story about how they made it and how, how they did it. But at the end of the day, you got to do it for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And you have to define your own path and all that other fun stuff. Yeah. That's so tedious that nobody wants to do because it's so hard. Man. <laughs> I think I'm just the guy who uh, goes up in the airplane to to jump out and uh, like, like I'm like so ready to skydive. But then I get to the edge and I look down and I'm just kind of like, uh, you know what? Never mind. And I go sit back down. You know what I mean? And it's like, I just keep vacillating between that, like getting to the door and then sitting back down and getting to the door and sitting back down. And it's like, I'm, I'm kind of, uh, like, like everything up until this point, especially like given the podcast, it's like, for me, it's actually the amount of people that say similar things because it's kind of like when you're reading the news you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And you read something off like CNN and you're like, well, that's obviously slanted. So then you read something off Fox news and it's like, well, that's obviously slanted. You know what right. I mean? 
but the things that those articles agree on, those are generally the truth. Like that's how you know what the truth is, like where those things align, right? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like for me, especially um, especially our last guest who uh, was, spe- was you know, speaking about LinkedIn but was also talking about kind of other related things. Mm-hmm. Um, it was that and then Colton talking about it that I was like, oh, so a lot of people even like ruminate on this the same way, like not even just not even just like, yeah, you just got to do it or whatever, but also in the way like, you know, I just didn't think that I shouldn't do it. Like I just have to, there's no, the, the, the risk of doing it was far less than, you know, what I was actually, what I was willing to do. So uh-huh. like that people like ruminated on in such a like logical way also, not just like a feelings way that kind of, uh, that kind of like showed me, I was like, yeah, like if so many people are saying it, that must be the truth. You know what I mean? Right. You needed to hear it from a hundred people, not just one person. Yeah. I don't know why, but it's, and it's because those, those things are really hard to like suss out or hard to source because uh-huh. especially given my, like, that's the thing. I still have like the child fucking trauma because like my my parents are both very you know par for the course like been in the same career field their whole life and like got their phds and it's all very like laid out for them you Uh know what i mean or it's like it's like everything kind of follows a schedule now you're a professor so now you're doing that you know and whereas so this is kind of, it's not even just a like, Oh, change in career or a change in whatever, but it's also like a paradigm shift for the way that like I thought success occurs. Yeah. That's some, that's some baggage you're dealing with. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But, but I think the, the thing, the point I was trying to make is that everyone's going to have a different, uh, tipping point or person that puts them over the edge, whether it's, you know, Mm -hmm. a lifelong friend or if it's some stranger at the ice cream shop. Yeah. Who did it for you? you Um, I don't know if I had one person specifically. Mm. Yeah, I don't think I've had one person specifically. Just like film school in general and then, well, I mean. Yeah, I, I, I can't think of any. I think I've always just didn't need that. It was just, this is what it is. Let's do it. Yeah. And it's like a slow burn, but still, I'm still trucking away at it. That's really interesting. Like you, you've always been a little bit more entrepreneurial and, and kind of like a self-starter and uh, kind of like an individual team in a sense. Like you, like, have you always kind of been that way that you just kind of like did things yourself? Like you're a little bit of an autodidact, like you just kind of teach yourself things and then figure stuff out and just like do it. Yeah. I'm for the most part, usually, you know, I'm not shy to Google things and figure out how to make things, you know, fix things. Like I, my toilet's running. I, let me Google it hmm. and fix it myself, not call a plumber. Cause why? That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just, like yeah, a, I guess I've always been like uh, that kind of kid, even in like high school and stuff. Hmm. You know, if you say something, you want to do something, you just do it. And sometimes it would annoy people and sometimes it wouldn't. Yeah. See, I just like read a lot in textbooks and shit. So I, I don't know if I came up with the same thing, but like, that's kind of what this is all sussing out to me is, most of my success or like most of the things that have gone right for me are things that like I'm taking initiative and I just like make happen. Uh-huh. Um, and so I'm starting to think that, yeah, basically, basically I, uh, I, yeah, need to make some big changes, which I think will, uh, also assist with, uh, 
after our big episode 50 and then once we reformat are we publicly talking about that i guess i, I just, guess we are now i guess i just said something yeah i think i think the i i, I my idea with episode 50 mm-hmm. i think it, we've been doing a lot of talking for 50 episodes that's yeah almost 50 weeks yeah it's almost a year it's a lot of talk yeah agreed let's 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 uh put into action some of these uh, things we've been talking about yeah, definitely. I feel like we've been uh, like dabbling in that talk. Mm-hmm. I was like, "Oh, this is what I did this week," but maybe let's get into get into a deep share it with the world. <laughs> oh, like I'm supposed to. I was when we're ready waiting for you to finish plant. that sentence. <laughs> I was like, "A deep what?" <laughs> Deepest, darkest. My head is like a shark fin. What the hell is that? It's an LL Cool J song. Oh, from the movie Deep Blue Sea. Mm. Has the greatest uh, Samuel Jackson monologue in it. Really? Yeah. He's giving this very inspirational speech about how they're going to survive this giant uh, mutant shark that this undersea lab created. <laughs> this already sounds like a gem. <laughs> and he's like giving this huge speech and everyone's freaking out and then he calms them all down and he's like pumping everyone up to be like, we're going to survive. We're survivors. And then the shark comes up out of the water and eats them <laughs> mid speech. It's amazing. That sounds phenomenal. Yeah, no, I'm I'm definitely down, um, especially because just as the show will reformat, although it'll happen before, but yeah, but yeah, uh, just like the show will reformat, I think I'm gonna do some reformatting myself, and I'm already putting some of that stuff into like I'm gonna upgrade to Vista. <laughs> Don't do it. Stay at ninety eight. <laughs> I don't. What was the other one? Didn't they also shit on another one? Didn't uh, people not like I, XP? No, I think XP was good. Uh, I think the last one was eight. Eight was weird. Windows eight, and then That's where you, ten is fine, isn't it? Yeah. Oh yeah. I don't ten know. is. I haven't good. been on a Windows computer in forever. You know, I'm actually being. I'm. I'm being converted. I'm kind of liking. Uh, I. I have never had a single Apple product. Except for mm-hmm. an iPod. I had an iPod once. Um, but I've never had a single Apple product, but I'm being converted. Like the the MacBooks are... What do you want right now? I'm on a MacBook right now. This isn't mine. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's... Well, I guess I use this one a lot. Yeah. Tori's MacBook is really nice. So I guess that's why I want some Apple toys. Oh, okay. Yeah. I want to get a brand new Mac. But Pro, but this is so expensive. It's Dude. like 7000 bucks. Oh, God. They're so fucking expensive. But you know what? It's going to last forever. But it's like a used car. It is like a used car, but still. Like, you could probably buy a used, like, uh, not a toy. Well, maybe like a deeply used toy. You definitely could have bought my, you could have bought two of my trucks with that. Oh, wow. Yeah. We all know we could use two of those trucks instead of a, a nicely uh, powerful running macbook pro yeah exactly <laughs> no so the guy i sold it to he was like only one key and i was like yeah only one like i don't know where the other one is i'm pretty sure i gave it back to you no i'm pretty sure you did too huh it's from there i i don't know what i did it wasn't right next to the original key <laughs> you know what it was not weird yeah weird indeed anyways so uh yeah going out and doing it and uh I, that resonated with me. And I think, I think also it was like a confluence of like the timing as well, because like 
things have been happening that have just been showing me that maybe I was idealizing this, like getting a nine to five with benefits and like doing, you know, the whole, you definitely were. Yeah. See, I, I think I was idealizing that. And then I had to like live it. And then I realized just like Matthew McConaughey realized that Wooderson shouldn't have had that scene where he, where he comes back and asks if everyone's sure that they don't want to roll out with him and get Aerosmith tickets. It's like that guy is always sure in his actions. He wouldn't, go back or second th- second guess or like think you know whatever just like mm-hmm. i've re- i'm starting to realize that this isn't you know this isn't who i am so to speak this isn't me yeah i'm a better version of this yeah exactly that's why i'm upgrading to vista i'm upgrading to vista but uh but it was a good talk uh, i think you know definitely i mean realizing you need to face your fears and like jump in the fire that's always a big thing, but as soon as you find that person that gets you to take that step, you know, if everyone's telling you the same thing, you probably don't need to hear it from that one special person. It's just probably just do it. Yeah. Yeah. So don't be like me guys and sit there hesitating by the, by the plane door. No, you jump out the plane. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Creativize, Strategize, and Synergize. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, please subscribe, share, and leave a rating. We'd really appreciate it. You can find Chris on social media using the handle at Elephant Scout. You can find me with at Atish Mazish. And finally, you can follow the podcast on Twitter with at CSS Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at podcast at cscottcreate.com. Thank you so much.